Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Glad that you. I don't know. I said good morning, and Hugh just did this like. I'm sure he didn't mean that at that moment, but that's what I just saw. Sorry to call you out, Hugh. It was just kind of. <laughs> oh, I'm glad that you are all uh, here today. Why don't you? Uh, well, no. Why don't you join me in prayer today? Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the awesome God that you are. Lord, we thank you for the snow. Uh, we thank you for the weather. We thank you for the sunshine. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, you'll keep everyone safe as they travel home. And if there's still some that are still traveling here, keep them safe. Uh, Lord, I pray that today we would fellowship with you, fellowship one with another. We'll worship you. We'll uh, sing your praises and your glory, Lord, because you deserve it. Uh, you're an amazing God, and we love you so much. Lord, thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, first song we're going to sing is in your bulletins. We're going to sing Blessed Be Your Name, and we're going to take our offering first here uh, during this first song. Blessed be your name in the land that it planted streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in a desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to Oh 
Rick, would you uh, ask God to bless the offering, sir? Would you all stand with me? Uh, we're going to sing uh, the next song is in your hymnal, page 363, To God Be the Glory.
want to say good singing, but at the same time, I want to say, I'm looking out there, y'all going, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people. I mean, there's no joy. I mean, it doesn't look like, I mean, I know it's cold outside. I know it's not really that early, but has God done anything good for you? Can we sing his praises and be a little bit smilier? I know it's not a real word, but just deal with it, okay? I mean, let's, I mean, God is a great God. He's done wonders for us. Let's just sing that chorus again. With I think you all smile, sing better when you smile, too, okay? Uh, let's sing the chorus one more time, all right? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he has done. That was much better. I just got to tell you, okay? All right, I'll let you sit back down. Next song we'll sing is O oh, Four Thousand Tons to Sing, page 349. O oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name. Jesus, the name that charms my fears, that bids our sorrows cease, tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Good singing. Thank you so much for singing with me, for worshiping the Lord with me. Um, let's, uh, we'll go ahead and get into our message today, all right? So turn with me, if you would, to the book of First Kings. First Kings. We are in our series this morning, uh, continuing on from last week. Uh, you in five years. Uh, we're simply asking two questions. Who will you be five years from now if we continue our present course and and who do you want to be in five years from now if you were to change some things? Uh, where is your right now momentum taking us? And, and do we like that destination? Because uh, now's the time to get off that train. You know, if you don't want that course, you go, you, you got to change. Who will you be in 2029? That's five years from now. That's hard to believe, isn't it? 2029? Here it is, 2024. Most of us are still writing 2023 on the on the on our papers, right? Anybody? No? There's a few of you, maybe? Okay. Um, so, 2024, uh, that's where we are. But what are you going to be like in five years? The title of today's message is In the Absence of Crisis. 
in the absence of crisis. Uh, in, in 1 Kings 19, we are introduced to a guy by the name of Elisha, uh, who would eventually become the prophet of God. And before he becomes the prophet, he works for Elijah, which at this point in, in uh, uh, Scripture is the current prophet of God. And uh, Elijah is like the mightiest miracle-working prophet uh, up to that point. Uh, and Elijah's shoes are pretty uh, big to fill for Elisha. And, but God told Elijah in advance who was going to replace him, and uh, it's going to be Elisha. Now, I don't know about you, but God could have picked anybody else. He could have picked Bob. He could have picked, you know, Bill. He could have picked, you know, anybody else, but he picked Elisha to confuse us because we don't remember, is it Elijah or Elisha? Is it Elisha or Elijah? It's just way too close, but God's like, <laughs> deal with it. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, he, you know, so Elijah searches for Elisha. They've never met before, but Elisha is now going to be part of the team and one day be the prophet. So hopefully you're there. First Kings chapter 19, verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the twelfth. Now, I'm going to pause there. Does that mean anything to you, twelfth? First off, how big of a thing was he driving that he needed twelve pair of oxen? That, that's pretty amazing. Now, here's the thing about oxen back in the day. It was like the cream of the crop for, for farming tools. It was like the John Deere tractor. It was, and, and, and not only did he have one of these, he had uh, 24 of these. Now, I don't know how big of a, a land holding he needed to, to necessitate 24 of them, but just to have one would have been a big deal in that day. So we have to understand that Shaphat uh, had a lot of land and he had a lot of money, and so that uh, Shaphat Farms was the place to be. Shaphat Farming Incorporated, Shaphat and Son, I don't know what they called it, but uh, Elisha is like the Bruce Wayne. You know who Bruce Wayne is, right? If you don't know who Bruce Wayne is, Bruce Wayne uh, is the alternate name. No, what do you call that? Anyway, he's Batman. But he doesn't have any superhero uh, strengths, supernatural strengths. He's just rich. He can pay for a lot of stuff. So Bruce, this is what Elisha is. He's the son of a very, very, very wealthy man. And so, uh, <clears throat> and Elisha is going to be in charge of that one day. And that's a huge deal. I mean, that is a huge responsibility. It's a big calling. Now, here's something that I want you all to understand. Uh, to, to have a lot of money, to have a, a lot of stuff like that, it can be a calling for your life. That could be something that God wants for you. Um, you know, you could be... <clears throat> A leader in uh, your industry, it could be your business, you could be very successful and produce wealth, but it's not just going to be for you uh, as an end, but it's going to be a beginning to bless many different people around the world, and you could do a great deal of good with it. Whether it's farming or banking or an architect, or, or many of you uh, will have it placed upon you like Shafat has. Now, five years from now, you could be a totally, uh, completely different place where it comes to your vocation and, and when it comes to your career, when it comes to your work and the wealth that you can produce and the good that you can do. So that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of money. Just make sure that you you're, you're, uh, understand it comes from the Lord. Now, let's look at verse 19 again. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the twelfth. 
when then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. Now, just to let you know, his mantle, that's basically his jacket, okay? And that's just kind of weird if you just look at it like, what is going on here? Why would he walk by this guy he doesn't even know and throw his jacket on him? Um, and like I said, they most likely didn't know each other. To Elisha, uh, he had heard all about Elijah. He had heard that he had done all these different uh, um, um, miracles. Uh, you know, in his mind, he was like chiseled on, uh, uh, in the stonework of Mount Rushmore. I mean, he was the man. He was the mightiest uh, miracle-working prophet. This guy was so awesome uh, that one time he said, it's not going to rain for, uh, until I say it's going to rain. And it didn't rain for three and a half years until he said it would rain again. Uh, so Elisha's just plowing just like any other day. And all of a sudden, Elijah is there. He approaches Elisha. And, and as he approached him, he starts taking off his jacket. And uh, Elisha, I'm th- sure, is thinking, okay, yeah, I get it. It's hot, but you're just walking. I'm, I'm working here. And then Elijah comes up and puts the jacket over Elisha's shoulders and walks away. And now, this was a symbolic gesture. Essentially, it's like Elijah handed Elisha a lightsaber and said, let's go to uh, the Dagobah system. And if you don't understand that reference, I'm sorry, I don't know if we can be friends. That's from Star Wars. Okay. Um, but that's, that's what he is doing. You know, uh, um, you know, he was an unpaid internship that Elijah was offering him. It was the chance to come under Elijah's authority. He is offering Elijah to be his disciple, his pupil, so that he could be, be prepared to be the prophet of God. Now, Elijah, uh, I'm sorry, Elisha knew full well what was being offered to him. Look at verse number 20. It says, And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. Now, nah, I'm sure he probably handed his coat back. Okay, he realizes he doesn't get to keep it yet. It's just ceremony. It's symbolism. And, and so he, he, he ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. Now, pause there. You realize what he's walking away from, right? He's walking away from Shaphat Enterprises. You know, he's walking away from that Wayne Manor. He is, he's kissing his life goodbye. The easy life. Well, maybe not the easy life because he's out there still working in the fields. But a very well-off life. He's kissing the life he knew goodbye. The, the life he loved, the future that was before him goodbye. To follow Elijah, whose life was impressive. I'll give you that. But it was a bit treacherous. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Elijah was able to call down fire from heaven, and we love to think about that, but let's not forget about the years that uh, he lived in hardship. At one point, he was hanging out by a brook getting delivered food by ravens. It wasn't Uber Eats, it was ravens, okay, uh, that would feed him two times a day. And he stayed there for quite a while until the brook dried up. And then after that, he gets brought to a, a town called Zarephath, which, you know, Zarephath was, uh, uh, was not a, a, an Israeli town. It, uh, uh, they they worshipped false gods, and they really didn't like him much there. It's kind of enemy territory. But he comes to this lady's house, and uh, she says, uh, hey, nice to meet you, but, uh, you know, he looks at her. She's skinny. She's like, looked like she's about ready to die, just of starvation. She goes... Um, I, I would love to help you out, but I'm getting ready to prepare my last meal of the food that we have. Me and my son, we're going to eat our last meal and then we're going to die. And it's like Elisha says, well, great. First make me some pancakes and then, you know, then you can get on with it. 
but no, it wasn't, uh, uh, he wasn't a jerk like that. But he says, make me something to eat first and God will take care of you. And, and you've got to think about the, the faith that this lady had. She went ahead and made him the food and then he stayed with her for the, the, the remainder of the, uh, uh, <clears throat> the, the difficulty, the time of difficulty. Oh, my mind just went blank on the word. The drought uh, that was going on. Uh, the famine, that's the word. Uh, the famine. So uh, Elisha knows about these things. He, Elisha knows full well what the life that he has and that he is giving up to go to the life that he is getting ready to embrace. A life where God's going to use him dramatically, but hardships are going to be there, difficulty is going to be there, opposition and absolutely just not knowing from day to day what is even going to happen. That's what he just accepted on the spot. Now, look at the last phrase of verse number 20. And he said to him, okay, that's Elijah said to Elisha, go back again for what have I done to you? In other words, he says, yes, go back, kiss your mama, goodbye. You know, that's important. You've got to do that. Uh, just make sure you count the cost before you come back. You know, uh, you need to uh, uh, count the cost before you deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. Make sure you understand what you're getting into. Make sure you understand that you're embracing a life of sacrifice now. A life where you're not in control uh, uh, once you choose to follow Jesus, once you decide to follow the Lord. Make sure you understand this very well. You know, I don't think a lot of people understand that today. You know, they want to be used by God uh, they want, un, until they have to give up stuff. Or at least be willing to give up stuff. Yielding to God's will may send you across the city. It may send you across the county, across the state, across the country, or even the world. But it also may just send you to your current job, your current school, your current, with your friends and your family, with a new passion for the Lord. So Elijah tells Elisha, okay, go ahead, but just make sure you understand what you're getting yourself into. Verse 21. So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, and slaughtered them, and boiled their flesh, using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah, and became his servant. In answer to Elijah's question, do you really mean it? Do you really understand what's really happening here? He turned around, he killed two of the oxen, two of those animals, made a bonfire. They had uh, an ox roast, okay? Well, a boil, not a roast. Uh, um, you know, and, and he fed people there. Uh, <clears throat> and he ate what was once just a short time before he was driving to plow the fields with. That really it represented his life. I mean, it's pretty amazing. The text tells us uh, that he became his servant now. That was the last part. Did you notice that? Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Now, the next time we hear about Elisha after this amazing uh, uh, story, not story, I hate calling them stories, account, is 18 years later. 18 years of being a servant to Elijah. Long enough to be born and graduate high school. And we get one detail about that. Of the whole time that he was with them. One little detail uh, of that 18 year long period where Elisha is Elijah's servant. You ready for it? Up here on the screen. 2 Kings chapter 3 verse number 11. 
So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. For 18 years, the only thing we know about him is that he poured, his, he poured water on the hands of Elisha. Maybe his name was Purell. I don't know. Maybe, you know, I don't know what was going on, why that was it. But for 18 very long years, his function was that of one who provided the hand sanitizer. You know, he'd be, uh, for 18 years, serving Elijah. That's the only thing that's told about him. Now, flip over to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. Now, I don't know about you, but in my mind, I'd be like, okay, 18 years is a very long time to really not have much said about me. Now, I'm sure he did a whole lot more than just water being poured on uh, um, Elijah's hands. But he lived for 18 years in obscurity, 18 years as a servant to Elijah, 18 years, and all that he did that we read of him is pouring water on Elijah's hands. We don't hear of the sermon. We don't hear of miracles. He just merely was in a role of a background supporting uh, the ministry that made Elijah what Elijah did possible. Finally, the details start to flow a little bit in Elijah's life. And we see that his life is nearing its conclusion. God had told Elijah that his life on earth was almost over. And so they begin to walking to a, a quiet spot and, uh, where he was going to go to heaven. And first they come to a river that they had to cross. Let's look here. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse number 8. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water. And it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. They get to a river. They stop. Elijah hits the river with his jacket, and the water splits apart. They walk across on dry ground. Verse number 9. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Well, that's nice. That's kind of a, hey, you've been a good servant to me for 18 years. Is there anything I can do for you before I leave? The rest of that verse says, Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. I love that request. I absolutely love it. I, I hope you think... Of that. I hope that you pray for that. I hope that you think of the, the great things that God has done in other people's lives and in the world and in your life. And I hope your request uh, facing the future is, God, would you do that again in my life, but give me more of it. Do twice as much in the coming days. I hope that's what you're praying over your children and over your grandchildren. I hope you're saying, God, you've done some great things uh, before. Do it again, but do it more so. And I hope that you think about your church that way as well. And you keep praying over me and over uh, this church that, and saying, God, I'm asking for a double portion today. Uh, not just today, but give us a double portion of you. I want to see you do even more. And you know what? Far from being offended by that, God loves that when we ask something big. He wants to see someone with faith to ask for more. He wants to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever think or ask or imagine. But the problem is that today, so many times that we pray small prayers. And the problem with praying small prayers is that you might just get what you asked for instead of what God wanted you to have all along. 
Just, you're asking for the little things. And, and no, don't get me wrong. It's okay. It's good to pray for the little things. But it's also good to have faith and say, God, give me something good. Give me something great. Let me see you work mightily. Elijah was the mightiest of the miracle worker, working prophets. God's Word records that, uh, that God worked 14 miracles through Elijah. So what Elisha is asking for is 28 miracles. Give me a double portion. Look at verse number 10. And so he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Elijah seems so mystical sometimes, I think. You know, uh, he's like, in a minute, I'm going to be going to heaven. And if you see, see me when it happens, you'll get what you're asking for. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking, Elisha, from this moment on, he's not going to blink because he doesn't want to miss it. He's putting the toothpicks in his eyes to keep his eyes open. He doesn't want to miss this opportunity. Not just for a double portion, but because he's been serving this guy for 18 years. I'm sure they're close. I'm sure they're friends. But he doesn't want to miss it. And Elisha uh, thought that uh, he might be blinking when Elijah dies, but God had something much weirder in store for Elijah than like dying on a normal basis. Look at verse number 11. It says, Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Of course he did. We know Elijah was just messing with Elisha. Because how in the world could you miss that? Something with a whirlwind, a bunch of horses made of fire, and a chariot made of fire, and the fact that, that they went up into the sky like... Who could miss that, you know? Look at verse number 12. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. Why? Why would he do that? Well, he did that out of respect, out of, out of grief, to show honor uh, that he loved Elijah. Verse 13. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. He's watching this whirlwind go by, and the horses shoot off up into the sky, and Elijah's with them. That's like Air Horse One. Oh, come on. That was a good one. Okay. Uh, but anyway, taking Elijah up to heaven, out of this whirlwind of fire comes Elijah's jacket down to the earth. So he picks it up. Verse 13 again. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elijah, Elisha crossed over. There's so much in all that I just told you, okay, in, in this passage in the life of Elisha up to this point that uh, I think it's important for us that we can some, take some things out of it that we can learn for the next five years. What do I mean? You know, I, what do I mean when I call this message the, uh, in the absence of crisis? Well, because crisis is an event, if you think about it. Crisis proves that we're all capable of change. 
Oh, I could never change. I could never do that. Well, if you had to, you'd find a way. If you had to, you would. You know, you've heard those stories of moms picking up cars to get, you know, to move the car off the baby or the child or whatever. You know, they couldn't do that normally, but when the time came, they were able to do it. If you had to come up with a ransom, I'm sure you've watched some TV shows or movies or whatever where someone had to come up with ransom. You know, I have no idea how I would come up with all that money. But you know what? I'd find a way. Because I had to. What could you do if you had to do it? Well, what about fasting? Oh, I'm not talking about intermittent fasting, okay, to lose weight. I'm talking about fasting on purpose for a purpose. I mean, I, would ha- I have a hard time with that because I get hungry. You know, I remember this one time I had a, this, uh, not to go grow, I had to prepare for a particular test uh, at my particular age, okay? And they're like, you've got to drink all this stuff and not eat anything for 24 hours. I was so hungry. Anybody ever have to take those tests? Any of y'all get hungry of those? I got so hungry, I even called the, the doctors after hours, um, what do they call that? The, the hotline or whatever, because I was so hungry. And the dude actually said, if you're so hungry, you can have a saltine cracker. Not a sleeve of saltine crackers, a saltine cracker. I could not believe he said that without cracking up. But I was appalled at that solution, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, I had to do it. And I can't remember if I actually ate it or not. All I know is I was ticked off. Um, but, uh, you know, you have to do something. You don't know if you can do it or not unless you had to do it. Um, you know, if your car broke down in the woods and you were stranded there for weeks, people do a lot of things to survive. When you have to, you're capable of change. But how do we change in the absence of that crisis? Well, I think that we, come to, we have to come to a place where we can generate an internal crisis. What do I mean by that? Uh, well, Tony Robbins said this. He says, change happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. I'm going to say that again because I thought it was good. Change happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. Change hurts. That's why we don't like it. Because uh, fasting is hard and, and saving money is hard and picking up cars are hard. We could do it if there's a crisis, but how do we generate that crisis? Because I, I don't think that staging some external crisis is the way to go. It's just not realistic. Um, if you can generate a, an internal crisis because you think of the pain of staying where you are as opposed to the pain, whatever pain it might be that causes you to change. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what we need to see. That's what we need to do. Now, in these passages that we read today, I see three different things that is going to help us to generate an internal crisis to be able to change. First, we need to see that there's a drastic action to get to where we want to be. Elisha was demonstrating drastic action when he chose to light fire to the yoke, and to eat his prized oxen. That's drastic. That's kind of like what Cortez did in uh, 1519 when his men arrived at the New World. He made his men stand on the shore and watch as he burned the ships uh, that they came across on. There was no going back. 
Okay? Uh, the resolve, the determination, the choice to say we will die or we will succeed, but there will be no retreat. Are you drastic in the action that you're taking or are you soft with your desire to change? Well, I, I, I really want to do this, but I've got this coming up here pretty soon and I don't know if I want to do that or not. You know, and so they said, well, I'll start tomorrow. I'll start working on that tomorrow. And then tomorrow turns into, well, next week. And then next week turns into, well, maybe next month. And then, well, just maybe next year. I'll, I'll deal with that. The drastic, you know, we need to have drastic action because that's what's called for. And I wonder if you're willing to do that. Because it is necessary. Why is drastic action so necessary at the beginning? Because if you remember from last week's uh, um, um, you know, illustration that I talked about, the different dominoes and how they grew one and a half times bigger every from one domino to the next. We started with a five millimeter domino, and if we went out 14 of them, there's one that was three feet tall, uh, a little over three feet tall. And if we went out like 29 times from that five millimeter domino, it would be like the size of the Empire State's building. If you remember that, that first domino by knocking that over is the drastic action. Because it's drastic to knock something over. Something's sitting up. Something's got to give. Something's got to light the fuse. Something's got to take the spark to get that fire going. And without that spark, without that push, uh, it can, you know, I mean, you can, well, without a spark, you can pile all kinds of kindling on there you want. You can put all kinds of lighter fluid or gasoline or whatever you want to put on there. But if there is no spark, it's not going to get lit. It's not going to be on fire. It's not going to happen until that first spark of decision and that line is crossed over. It's hard by design, but necessary to overcome. Y'all ever heard of inertia? Okay. Inertia is the first law of motion. Okay. Y'all, you ever heard of first law of motion? You remember that from science class back in school? Uh, he didn't, I don't know if he discovered it or he just was the first one to write them down to think about it, but a guy by the name of Sir Isaac Newton, uh, Sir Isaac Newton, uh, he, he had the first law of motion. Now, if you put look in your notes, I just put, I think, Isaac Newton. Just write down the first law of motion because there's too much in there to write in that little space. But what he said was objects will remain at rest or in uniform motion in a straight line unless compelled to change its state by the action of an external force. And you may be saying, okay, I don't get that. The point is that everything in the universe wants to keep doing what it's already doing. It doesn't want to change. Everything is resistant to change, uh, to a change of state. We call that inertia. Uh, and the word inertia comes from the... Uh, the uh, Latin word that we get idle and lazy from. That just really defines so much of our world today, doesn't it? Um, the world is lazy. You know, that makes so much sense. Our default setting is to stay where we are. Our default setting is not to move. It's not to change. Because the first law of motion states that everything is lazy. Everything is idle. If I had a brick up here with me, and uh, it would be so lazy. It'd just be sitting right here on the pulpit, right? It would just be sitting there, and it would sit there forever if nothing changed, if nothing moved it, right? Uh, you know, a thousand years from now, it would still be there because it's lazy. It doesn't want to move. If I had a hammer, 
and I hit that hammer against that brick, that would cause some force. You know, I would bring some force to it. And with that drastic action, I can move that brick. I can't move it very much. You know, comp- you know, <clears throat> if, you know, if I hit it with an external force, uh, um, I lost my place. Sorry, just a second. With drastic action, I can, I can move that brick. I, can, I can't move very much because there's a, the amount of mass there. Now, if I had a balloon up here and you hit it with the same amount of force that you hit the hammer with, that balloon would go flying, right? Because there's not a lot of mass there. Um, more mass means more inertia. It takes more force to get it moving. Uh, the brick, so much of the force going into it is spent on just getting it off of where it's staying. So, and that's why it's so difficult to change in our own lives. Because all of the normal energy that you apply to change gets spent just overcoming the inertia. And you're not able to see any of it build up to speed just yet. Fasting is drastic, okay? I'm not going to eat for a while. Why? Because I want to hear from God. I'm telling you that's a drastic action. A drastic, uh, it's drastic to, to grab food that you don't want to eat, but you really do want to eat. But I don't want to eat it because I need to lose some weight and get better shape and live better. Oh, but those Oreos just look so good. It's, it, it makes, it's a drastic action to go over to the trash can and throw them in there. It's even more drastic to open up the container and then dump it into the trash can. And then, because who wants to eat food that was in a trash can outside of the package, right? That's just gross. And that's, that's drastic. It's drastic maybe to delete some numbers in your phone because it is not a good relationship. It's, it's a dysfunctional relationship. I'm not even talking about boyfriend, girlfriend, married, whatever. I'm just talking about it could be friends that, there's a, that you just need to get away from them. It's drastic to do that. It's drastic to say, here's a line, no more. The time for half measures is over. Otherwise, five years from now, I'm just an older version of myself but exaggerated. Drastic action. We have to take it. The second thing uh, I, I, I see in Elisha is steady progression. A steady progression. Slow and steady. How long did he serve the servant as a servant to Elijah? 18 years. What was he doing? All we know about he was pouring water. I'm sure there was more. But drastic action tips over that first domino. But then we need consistency. It doesn't look like much has happened, but consistent. He was consistent in pouring the water. Uh, There was a Greek philosopher by the name of that. It's up there. You can see it. Uh, But I'm just going to read what it says. It says, No great thing is created suddenly. Any more than a bunch of grapes or a fig. If you tell me that, there, uh, that you desire a fig, I answer you, there must be time. Let it first blossom, then bear fruit, then ripen. It's going to take time. It doesn't happen overnight. That's what the Greek dude, I, Epictetus, I don't know. It doesn't matter. That guy said that. So, you see... Whatever change you want, that's dramatic, that's uh, instant, that's sudden, if it's instantly visible, it's most likely not long-term sustainable. Um, 
Around this time of year, people make resolutions. One of the biggest ones is what? Lose weight, right? And now they have medicine for this. Did you know this? They have shots that you can take that's supposed to uh, curb your appetite. What happens when you get to the weight that you want to be and you go off those shots? Does your appetite still stay curbed or do you have to still stay on that diet? I don't know. But it's like once you take that away, now you're going to get right back into the same problem that you were in. But if there are things that are drastic, that are sudden, that are instant, you're going to see it initially, but it's not long-term sustainable. You want things to go into the ground and compound interest, like we talked about last week, to take hold. You want the process that God put in, uh, that slow and steady wins the race, because God is always working in the sowing and reaping in seasons. It's in seasons. It takes time. There's summer and spring and fall and winter. And, and what... Uh, what and that we are found a year from now doing the thing that we were meant to do and thinking that what could happen in 60 months from now or even 60 years from now. Uh, an author by the name of Darren ha- uh, Hardy, he wrote a book called uh, Compound Effect. And it's along up there. I don't know if you'll be able to read it, but I'll re- uh, I put it up there so hopefully you can follow along. Um, but he said, and, and, and this is basically what... Epictetus said, um, but a little more uh, updated lingo. He says, it's time someone told it to you straight. You've been bamboozled for too long. There is no magic bullet, secret, secret formula, or quick fix. You don't make 200 grand a year spending two hours a day on the internet. You don't lose 30 pounds in a week, rub 20 years off your face with a cream, fix your love life with a pill, or find lasting success with any other scheme that is too good to be true. It'd be great if you could buy your success, fame, self-esteem, good relationships, and wealth, and well-being in a nicely clamshelled package at the local Walmart, but that's not how it works. What's it going to take? Day in and day out. Day in and day out. Keep sowing. Keep watering. Keep dreaming. Keep planting. Stay planted. Life decisions. Reading the Bible. Getting closer to Jesus. Spending time in prayer. Save your money. Work out. Make some right choices. Be around the right people day in, day out. Planted in the house of God. Flourishing in the courts of the Lord. It takes the right things over time to get where we want to be. John Maxwell, um, he said, improvement doesn't happen in a day, but it must be daily. It's not going to happen in a day. You can't be changed tomorrow, but it has to happen daily if we're uh, to get to where we want to be. So we have to be consistent. We have to have steady progression. Drastic action, steady progression. And if we do those things, it's going to lead us to something that we get to enjoy the momentum. Isn't it interesting that the the way that Elisha eventually comes to a place where slow and steady, he's been filling up his life with these small decisions and then eventually comes to this dramatic place of momentum. I mean, by the way, when you think about what happens when you've just got not... uh, What did I just write? 
Okay. There we go. Now I understand what I wrote. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, <clears throat> it happens, you know, it's not just the drastic action, but it's day by day, decision after decision after decision after decision, just how different things become. You know, it, it's that, that progress. And as you make one decision, it leads you to another decision. And, and, it, and you know, if it's just one decision, there might be some weakness to it. But if, if you take the thing of what uh, you're, you're trying to do and you multiply it over hundreds and thousands of times, just little bits here, a little bit there, uh, um, you know, you get to a place where you're totally different than you were five years ago. And that all leads to momentum. Why? Because inertia is a double-edged sword, Right? Newton says things that are at stay at rest are at rest, will stay at rest. But what was the second part of that? Do you remember? Objects in motion stay in motion and do so in a straight line. Don't believe me? Go out and try to run and run across some ice and then try to stop. Or drive your vehicle on an icy road and then try to stop. It wants to keep going. Momentum gets going. Um, so, of course, you know, there's correct course correction and, and steering, followed by compounded uh, decision-making. It eventually leads you to a pretty spectacular thing that's called inertia yet again. Y'all know the space shuttles, okay? Uh, they use more fuel taking off than at any other time throughout the rest of its flight. Because it's got to break free from what's holding it to being an object at rest. But then eventually it becomes an object in motion. Without friction or any of the things that cause us uh, uh, to, to be unable to slide something forever. In a vacuum of space, if I, you know, remember the brick up here? If I were to take that brick in space and just throw it with, with nothing else around, no gravity to, hold it, to slow it down, it would just keep going and going and going and going until it hit something. Why? Because an object at rest turned into an object in motion will remain in that motion. It's the same thing in our own lives. If you don't change, you're going to be the same you are in five years, just exaggerated. We talked about that again last week. But if you get in the motion, you're making small decisions, you're having this steady progress. You're going to keep building up. This is why it's possible for you to make the right decisions today. Eventually, you're going to come to a place where the right things have been set in place and they just continue. Oh, it's hard to get off the ground. It's hard to get started. But you've got to keep going. It's difficult because drastic action is unbearable sometimes. Don't believe me? Try to go on a diet. Right? Trying to go on a diet. It's not fun. And sometimes it's like, okay, I'm speaking for myself. I don't know if it is for anybody else. But, I mean, you try to go on a diet and you're like, okay, I want to cut back on how much I eat. By like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you could like eat a whole cow and still not be full. Right? It's like, oh, my gosh, I'm so hungry. You know? And it's, it, it, there's times you're like, this is unbearable. I can't do this. But if we keep going, it's a drastic decision and we don't really like it. But if we keep going, we move past that, well, I understand I'm hungry, but I'm, this is for a better thing. And we steadily progress. Oh, it's uncomfortable. 
at first. Oh, let's be honest. It's uncomfortable even for quite a while. But the longer we go, the better we'll get at it. And that steady progression, even though it's uncomfortable, and once you get to this, this phase where there's, you've got some momentum going, you're enjoying it. And really, let's be honest, when you get the momentum going, you're kind of unstoppable. Because you, that's just who you are now. That applies so much in our lives. And I'm not just talking about losing weight. Because that's not, I mean, yes, that's probably a good thing. But I'm talking about your walk with the Lord. It starts out, I'm going to spend X amount of minutes with God every morning. Maybe hard. You may have to get up early. But the longer you do it, it becomes a routine. It becomes a habit. It cuts, it's a good thing. And then you get this momentum where now you're spending more and more and more time with the Lord. And it's a good thing. You become unstoppable because this is what God wants from us. And think about how much it can change our lives. Drastic action. Hard. Steady progression. Let's be honest. That's really the harder one of the two. Would you agree with me on that? We can all say, hey, I'm, I'm going to climb Mount Everest. Cool. But you've got to work to do it. You've got to actually do that. And you've got to make steps towards that. And it's, you can have a drastic action, but if you don't follow it with steady progression, it's not going to take place. It's just going to be, okay, that was a wild idea. But once you get going and building you're going to get momentum and you're going to get to the place where, hey, maybe you will climb Mount Everest. That's cool. But what can we do, spiritually speaking? I mean, imagine how close we could get to the Lord, how much we could do for the Lord if we just take little steps, make little decisions here and there, and we continue with that. We become unstoppable in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this message, this challenge. And Lord, we're, we're thankful for uh, just this, this idea. At least I am. I thank you that we can be we can be changed. We can be so different than where we are right now. If we start making little choices here and there, I pray that we will all keep listening to you and listening to what you want us to do. And that we would keep giving attention to our, our, our lives, to our souls, that, we deserve, um, that it deserves as we follow you. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us as we make that drastic decision. And help us to be able to continue to follow it. That we will see that steady progression. And we take a little bit here and a little bit there and we start doing a little bit more and more and more. And that we wouldn't give up. And that we could see our lives totally changed. And not just in five years, but in ten years, in fifteen, twenty years. What you could do through us is truly amazing. Thank you, God, for the challenge. I pray that we would all take it to heart this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
I'm going to give you an opportunity just to respond to maybe God's talking to you uh, about something. Uh, we're going to sing a song, page 273. Whatever your need is, I invite you to come, uh, pray about it, and uh, let God work in your heart. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Well, I'm so glad that you're all with us today. I pray that God would... Work in your heart, work in your lives for His glory. All right, let's uh, close in a word of prayer. And uh, I'm going to ask Hugh if you would close our service in prayer, sir.